Thank you, Stan. Worship team for leading us in those songs of praise, thinking about the glories of the throne of God, and appreciate that, particularly the last hymn. Uh, just uh, felt like I was trembling in my heart as I was singing that song, uh, imagining uh, being there as Isaiah stood there before the throne of God in Isaiah 6, and uh, the only the only response I could think of is, woe is me, I am a man of unclean lips, I'm a people of unclean lips. And were it not for God and his mercy to cover us with that, the burning coal of Christ Jesus, that we could even stand in before him and speak on his behalf. Praise the Lord. Well, uh, as we go to the Lord and the study of his word, I ask you to turn with me to the book of Isaiah this morning. And we'll be doing an overview of Isaiah, uh, introduction to Isaiah, if you will. A little more of a lesson than a sermon this morning because we're going over much of an introductory matters. But hopefully that it would be a blessing. It would encourage us and prepare us to study the, the whole book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 1 is where we'll be this morning. We'll probably look at a few more verses than just verse 1, but it'll be our launching point for all that we look at this morning. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 1. We read, The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, concerning Judah and Jerusalem, which he saw during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this book, Isaiah. And for all the prophets, Lord, we confess to you that um, when we come to the prophets, that sometimes they are difficult for us to understand. They talk about historical matters that we may not be so familiar with. They speak in language that is uh, often poetic uh, and in a, con- in a histor- cultural and historical context that, that we uh, may not grasp some 3,000 some years later. But Father, we know that this is your word. And we thank you that you have preserved it to this day so that we may open these books, this book, and study it. Lord, we ask that your spirit would take your word and teach us this morning. Help us to understand that even as we go over these introductory matters, uh, this, the, the setting of this book. And we pray that uh, as we understand its setting, that you prepare us to study the whole book and show us more and lead us into the, the glories of Christ. Father, we thank you that, uh, that we can study your word together as a body. And may the words that we learn, may we speak to one another. May we speak truths to one another and share of how you bless us through this book of Isaiah. In Jesus' name, amen. Many of us are probably familiar with the story in the Gospels in Luke chapter 24. Uh, verse 13 and following, there it was uh, the day of Christ's resurrection. Many people were not aware of that day yet, and there were two disciples walking to the on the road towards Emmaus. And it was the resurrected Lord Jesus who appeared to them. And though they didn't know who he was, they didn't recognize him at that point, they expressed to Jesus that they were confused about Jesus' death, and as well about the report of his resurrection. 
And it was in verse 27 of that chapter, Luke 24, that we read, Then, beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he, that is Jesus, explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. Jesus takes time to teach his disciples, these two disciples, as well as us today, that he is found throughout all the scriptures, the law and the prophets. And in that day, the scriptures were only the Old Testament. So we're talking about the, the 39 books that we have of the Old Testament. And so it's a profound truth. It's a profound, even an interpretive guide for us as we look at the Old Testament from our, stand, our standpoint is that we understand that Jesus tells us and he tells his disciples that the Old Testament, when you study the Old Testament, when you look at the Old Testament, you will see Jesus Christ. You will see the foretelling of who he is, what he's going to do. It will tell him about his first coming and second coming. It will tell about his character, about his works. And it tells us all about our Lord Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ. Now, if there's one Old Testament book that teaches us the most about Christ, it is this book of Isaiah. No Old Testament prophet is quoted more in the New Testament than Isaiah. In fact, uh, many of you may have come across sharing with someone, maybe a Jewish uh, friend, that if you want to share the gospel with someone using only the Old Testament, because maybe a Jewish person wouldn't recognize the New Testament, but they say, well, but they believe in the Old Testament scriptures. That's the, the Old Testament. That's their, their, their Bible. You could share with them the gospel just from Isaiah alone. And I think many of you know that you could share from Isaiah 53 alone, in fact. And so for this reason, out of all the, the prophets, and I wanted to pick a prophet book, uh, one of the prophecies, uh, I wanted to choose Isaiah because I've, I feel like I'm overdue to go through the Gospels. Our, our pastor Alton's preaching through the Matthew. And so I thought, well, let's preach Isaiah because Isaiah, as many of you might know, is, is known as the fifth gospel. It tells us so much about Jesus Christ. As we study this book together, we pray that this book will show us Christ. We pray that it will, as we sung this morning, that God will lead us into the deeper glories of Calvary. So as we study this book in the next six months, we will look into not only its meaning in its historical context, but we're going to see how this book points us to Christ, points us to our Lord and Savior. And I think for those us as believers, it's like sometimes when you go through some ancient history, you don't like history? Uh, well, you should like this history because this history points you to Christ. You don't like poetry? Well, uh, you should like this poetry because this poetry points you to Christ. You don't like just any of this, oh, man, the Old Testament stuff is just kind of, I don't get it. Well, you'll like this one because this all will point us to Christ. That's, so let's, uh, that's, that's where we're going to go this, in this next six months to a year, perhaps. But if we kind of just do a little background on Isaiah. Isaiah is the 23rd book in, the English, in our English Bibles. After the five books of Moses, the law, uh, the, there were 12 historical books, then five poetical books. And Isaiah, in our English Bible, stands as the first of 17 prophetical books. There are five major prophets, 12 minor prophets. Isaiah is the first of these major prophets. And all these prophetic books involve two things in general. Or they involve foretelling future events as well as foretelling God's thoughts, God's uh, judgments, God's evaluations of the people of God. 
we can look at, when we think about uh, all the books of prophecy, there are often four common themes. Four common themes. I want to show us those common themes. And you, I just put them up there. And these four common themes are that the prophetic books, will often they expose the sinful practices of the people. Oftentimes, almost all the prophecies, they would point out the sins of God's people. They would also, secondly, call the people to repentance and obedience. Thirdly, they, they warned the people of coming judgment. Oftentimes, especially, we'll see it in as Isaiah as well, that there's coming judgment that is that God is bringing because of their sin. And then fourthly, there is often in the prophecy books the anticipation of the coming of the Messiah. So uh, we'll find that. You should find that in Isaiah as we study it. Um, as we go through in the next six months, I, I hope to show us or point out uh, principles that will help us in studying prophecy. It's really hard. I find it. I have found it very challenging just preparing for this introductory uh, uh, sermon. But uh, it will be challenging for us as we study prophecy, a lot of imagery, a lot of that we may not be familiar with. Obviously, there's history that we have to catch up on and figure out what is what historical context is this is this particular verse talking about. And then many of the prophecies, they don't. They're not just mentioned in, in historical order. Sometimes there's a jumping kind of back and forth, or even one prophecy within the same verse might be speaking of the first coming and the second coming of Christ. And so we'll uh, hopefully we'll we'll learn how to study the prophets, even as we go through the book of Isaiah as well. Well, as an outline for this morning, we're as I promised, we're going to go through introductory matters. So there are going to be three introductory matters of Isaiah that will guide our understanding and study of this book, and I trust that will point us to Christ. The point is to the Lord who is our salvation. All right. So that's where we're going to be. Let's take a look then at these three introductory matters of Isaiah. First of all, we want to take a look at that as author of Isaiah, the author of Isaiah. And we're going to just look at verse one, the vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos. Now we read clearly from verse one that the author of this book is Isaiah, right? Isaiah, the son of Amos. Now, as Bible-believing Christians, I think we take such declarations of Scripture at face value. When it says that Isaiah wrote the book of Isaiah, we believe that... Who wrote the book of Isaiah? Oh, good, good. You guys are good Bible-believing Christians. Now, if you were good liberal scholars, you would say, well, hmm, maybe there's three or four Isaiahs. And that's what kind of happened in the 1800s. Actually, in, in, by the 1800s, there were a lot of liberal scholars out there. They were not, particularly it was coming out of a movement of anti-supernaturalism. And so uh, they started looking at Isaiah and believing that Isaiah, the authorship of Isaiah, well, because no one could actually predict the future. So any kind of prophecy in, in Isaiah that is uh, perhaps kind of indicative, for instance, the prophecy of King Cyrus that we'll find in uh, Isaiah 45 is... That that must have been written after it was after after the historical point, and so and they looked at it closely and they said, well, the first thirty nine chapters, yes, that's probably written by Isaiah, but the latter half chapters forty through sixty six, they are so they have full so much full of prophecy, especially about the Christ, you know, even they think, oh, that must be written later by someone else, another Isaiah, and they call this second Isaiah or Deutero Isaiah. Some liberal scholars were more clever, and they came up with the third Isaiah as well. They divided that 40 through 66 into two parts. Now, amazingly, this view became widely accepted. It was the widely accepted. It was among the scholars in that era. However, just as we look at this book, if, you know, we could just point to verse 1, and that should be enough. But just for us to think through this, if 
chapters 40 through 66 were actually written by a different author. They were written by someone else, and then at a later time, joined with chapters 1 through 39, who were written by Isaiah. Then we should expect, in in some of the historical manuscripts of Isaiah, we should find maybe instances where we find only chapters 40 through 66, or only chapters 1 through 39, because they were written by different people at different times, right? So we should be able to find that in the manuscript evidence, but we don't. Whenever we find a, a, a good chunks of Isaiah, it is always 1 through 66. It is always the whole Isaiah together. There is no division. We don't find any, uh, any, uh, any parts of uh, where, the, where, these people, where these liberal scholars were saying that Isaiah was divided. The, what's more, the testimony of the New Testament authors also confirms the single authorship of Isaiah. In the New Testament, we can look at uh, John the Baptist, Matthew, John, uh, the Apostle John, as well as the Apostle Paul, all quote uh, from the latter half, the, the Deutero-Isaiah, you know, uh, chapters 40 through 66, and they always say, Isaiah wrote it, Isaiah wrote it. Most significant for us is John chapter 12, verse 38 through 41. In John chapter 12, verse 38 through 41, these, there it quotes two passages out of Isaiah. Two passages. Two, ver- two different distinct passages. One from Isaiah 53, verse 1. That's the second half of Isaiah. And chapter 6, verse 10. Uh, the first half of Isaiah. And John, in both places, attributes these verses to Isaiah. To Isaiah. For... Now, liberal scholars have no problems with saying, you know, uh, well... John just made a mistake. He was, uh, he was wrong. But for us as Bible-believing Christians, for John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, to make an error and to, be, to write as truth, basically what is the lie, to say that, yeah, this is something that Isaiah didn't write it, but I'm just telling you Isaiah wrote it. That would undermine the integrity and the, and the inerrancy of Scripture completely. But John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, recognizes that the book of Isaiah, both for both halves, are all written by Isaiah. So again, we just confirm for us that Isaiah wrote this book, okay? That's for you to know in case someone ever, someone comes up to you, some skeptic, say, well, I heard Isaiah wrote, you know, only part of it, and somebody else wrote another part of it. So we ask ourselves then, as we think about Isaiah, who is Isaiah the son of Amos? What we know of Isaiah is, is gleaned from not only this book of Isaiah, but also 2 Kings 19 to 20 and 2 Chronicles 32. We find his name, Isaiah, mentioned 54 times in the Bible and 22 times in the New Testament. Remember, he's the most quoted uh, of Old Testament prophets in the New Testament. Most often, when Isaiah defines, identifies himself in his book, he calls himself the son of Amos. He recognizes he, that's his, his father. Now, when we look for Amos in the scriptures, we, we do not find anything much about, much about him except that he's the father of Isaiah. Uh, it was likely, though, that Amos was probably someone of some uh, political or, uh, or maybe even priestly uh, clout in that he was connected, he had access to the royal family. That would explain, could explain why Isaiah has such ready access to the royal family himself. In fact, it tells us in 2 Chronicles 26, 22, that Isaiah recorded the events of the reign of King Uzziah. He was a recorder for King Uzziah. That's unique. That's, that's like a, a, a political office. So maybe he had connections to, uh, to the royal court at that time. 
But though he's called, though Isaiah introduced himself as Isaiah, the son of Amos, most often in the scriptures, Isaiah is called Isaiah, the prophet. As a prophet, Isaiah had the simple task to proclaim on behalf of God, the message of God. Now, a prophet is a little bit different. You say, well, he's like a, he's like a preacher, you think. Well, kind of, but yet not really. You know, a preacher explains what God has said. You know, I, I, I study the Bible and I will explain to you what the Bible says. But a prophet will actually state what God has said. What he speaks are the words of God himself. I will not say that my words are inspired. My words are not the very words of God. But I will explain under the power of the Spirit the meaning of God's word. Now, a prophet is much cooler in a sense. Is that he speaks the very words of God to us. And that's Isaiah. Isaiah's calling, and these prophets were called by God. Uh, and his calling is found in Isaiah chapter 6, which we, which we uh, sung. And even as we think about the holy, holy, holy uh, song, hymn, it reminds us of the throne room of God. And at, at that, the, the vision of the throne room of God, there God called Isaiah to serve him. And Isaiah's calling in Isaiah chapter 6 reveals three things about Isaiah. They reveal that Isaiah was a, a humble man. Uh, he recognized who he was rightly in light of who God is. His appearance before a holy God, when he looked upon the throne of God, holy, 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 he didn't say, oh, this is cool. He said, oh, man, what's up, God? He did not say that. What did he say? Woe is me. Woe is me. I am a man of unclean. He recognized his sin, his unclean lips. He recognized his people's sins. He was a man who recognized in humility that he was a sinner. A prophet of God and people of God or pastors of God must be men who recognize that and never forget that they are, they too are sinners who need the word of God as much as those they speak to. We also learn in the calling of Isaiah 6 that Isaiah was a willing servant. He was a willing servant. When God asked, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Isaiah eagerly volunteered. He said, here am I. Send me. A readiness to answer God's call. You know, can you imagine if God were to extend an invitation even right here, right now. I said, whom shall I go? Whom shall I send to China or to Africa or to Germany or to San Francisco? Many of us, how many of us would say, here am I, Lord, send me. That's a willingness. It was a willing spirit on behalf of Isaiah to go and to be used of the Lord. Thirdly, we learn in his calling that he was a faithful prophet. Uh, Isaiah had a very long period of a challenging ministry. Similar almost to Jeremiah, though uh, not quite as sad, but still pretty a lengthy, uh, difficult ministry. Isaiah's ministry spanned four kings, which we'll look at in a little bit, and as well as over 60 years. But at, at Isaiah's calling, God informed him that he would prophesy to a people who would basically not respond to his message. That would be, you know, I, I was just imagining, you know, you preach one message and the people are like, mm, you know, 
He's like, oh, man, sad, you know, I'll get him next week. But can you imagine for a year after year, a week after week, for 60 years, preaching the word of God, and everybody goes, mm, yeah, that was nice. Let's go get lunch at uh, Dongbei Mama, okay? <laughs> I would have quit way before then, probably. This, that is a sorrowful thing, to preach the word of God and have no one respond, no one obey, no one hear the word of God. But that's what Jesus, that's what Isaiah's ministry is. Well, Jesus' ministry, too. In fact, no. Isaiah remained faithful for those six years, proclaiming the message of God to the people of God, calling them to repentance, telling them of the coming judgment, and no one responded. But it's, Isaiah's faithfulness extended beyond the words, his, his ministry of his words, but it went also to the very actions that he displayed, his life that he lived. He, his whole life was, was impacted, was dedicated to the ministry of, the, of, his, of, of being a prophet. His whole life was a sign, in fact, to those who would hear. As signs to Israel, he, God instructed him to name his two sons. Uh, and we'll get there in these odd names. One of them was like Meher Shalal Hashbaz, you know? And it's like, wow, how many of you are willing to name your son that the next time, you know, when your son's born? Well, maybe you would if God told you. That would be cool, right? But... He named his sons as signs. Another sign, according to Isaiah chapter 20, verse 3, is that Isaiah actually went naked and barefoot for three years in his ministry. I'm looking forward to studying that section. Uh, but in his, and what's more, we learn that Isaiah was faithful in his death. According to tradition, Isaiah was sawn in two by the evil king Manasseh. His death is, is believed to be alluded to in, in Hebrews chapter eleven thirty seven as one who was justified by faith. And so for the, even as we look at Isaiah's life, for the simple reason that Isaiah was a prophet of the Most High, it's sufficient to inspire us to want to study this book, to, to want to hear the very words of God. Because when Isaiah writes, he's writing the words of God. These are the words of God. But this book... But knowing that these words in this book is written by a, a man who was humble, willing, and a faithful servant of God. It's like, you know, for those of us uh, that have known, uh, have the privilege of knowing faithful, older pastors. If you all of a sudden you, you found, received a letter from him, they would carry so much uh, more encouragement and weight to us. Because they're, they're written to us from someone who's been faithful to God for 50, 60 years. And you would... We come to understand that this, we saw in his words and his life that this man represents God. And we would want to hear what this man has to say. That's the kind of idea when we come to Isaiah. It's the words, not from a young man. This is written from a man who, is, who has walked with God. So these things inspire us, even as we look at the authorship of Isaiah. I want to look at a second introductory matter, too, that prepares us for the study of our book. And that's the setting of Isaiah. The historical setting of, of the book of Isaiah. And as we go through, Isaiah will we'll draw out more historical as well as cultural context. But we want to just focus on some, the, some basics. We read again in verse 1 that uh, Isaiah's vision uh, was concerning Judah and Jerusalem was what he saw during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. In order to understand the prophecies of Isaiah, we must understand the histories of these four kings that Isaiah ministered during. 
his, uh, these four kings, Isaiah, Jotham, Jotham, sometimes Ahaz, and Hezekiah. And when we think about the kings of Israel, we always remember the first three kings, Saul, David, and Solomon. They were kings of Israel when they were a unified nation. But after Solomon, the nation was divided, as, you, as we know. It was divided into a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. The northern kingdom kept the name of Israel. Uh, their, their capital was Samaria. Its largest tribe was Ephraim. And so oftentimes we would find any of those three titles used of that northern kingdom. But the southern kingdom took on the name of Judah. It was named after the largest tribe of, the, the, of that southern kingdom, Judah. This capital, Jerusalem. But along the way, there was kings of Israel and kings of Judah. Here we find that Isaiah served during the reigns of four kings of the southern kingdom, Judah. Let's survey each of these kings. First of all was a king named Isaiah. He reigned from 790 to 739 B.C. He's also called Azariah. His reign for us is recorded in 2 Kings 15, 1 through 7, as well as 2 Chronicles 26. Now, Isaiah was, had the great privilege of becoming king at a very young age, age 16, and he had a long reign for 52 years. He, as you may, many of you are familiar when we read about kings, God will always evaluate them, and he'll tell us whether they were a good king or an evil king. And for most of the kings of Judah, they were good kings. And here, Uzziah was a good king. And he was a good king in that he worshipped the Lord. He sought the Lord. And God prospered him and prospered the nation during his reign. In addition to increasing the prosperity of the nation, Uzziah fortified the defenses of the nation. He built towers, built engines of war. He built up an elite army of over 300,000 men. And despite all the success, though, Uzziah wasn't perfect. He failed to lead Israel to worship God. Though he worshiped God, he failed to lead the nation to worship God. The high places, these places that were used to worship idols, were not taken away. They were not removed. And so the people just continued, were allowed to continue in their idol worship. The people did not give thanks to God for their prosperity. It was a very prosperous time. But instead, they, they gave their worship and thanks to idols. What's more, Isaiah himself became filled with pride. And that's what, what happens when we have success, right? We had become filled with pride. And he became filled with pride. And he actually thought of him, wanted to take the role of a priest. He actually went into the temple and started offering his own sacrifices. But God judged him and struck him with leprosy for the rest of his life. It was in the final year of Isaiah's life that God would call Isaiah to be a prophet. That's Isaiah. Isaiah. Secondly, we was the reign of Jotham. Jotham, too. 739 through 731 B.C., a short reign. But his reign is recorded in St. Kings 15, 32, 38. St. Chronicles 27, 1 through 9. And he, too, like his father, he was the son. These are all sons of one another, uh, these four kings. Uh, Joth, uh, and he was a good king who also worshipped the Lord. He ordered his ways before the Lord his God. He continued the strength of the nation by building Jerusalem's gates and walls. He created more fortresses, created more towers throughout Judah. He fought wars against the Ammonites and defeated them. However, Jotham, like his father, also failed. 
he too did not remove the high places. He worshipped God, but he did not lead the people to worship God. The people continued to act corruptly and by sacrificing and burning incense to the idols. Third, we find a third king where Isaiah ministered in, and that was the king Ahaz, the son of Jotham. His reign is recorded for us in 2 Kings 16, 1 through 20, and 2 Chronicles 28, 1 through 27. Unlike his father and grandfather, Ahaz was one of those few southern kingdom kings that was an evil king. He wasn't good. He did not worship God. He worshiped idols. Ahaz uh, worshiped many idols. He, the scripture tells that he did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord. He patterned his life after the, the wicked kings of, of the northern kingdom, Israel. He actually made his sons pass through fire. Essentially, he burned his sons as part of his idol worship. He's, he had them pass through fire. He sacrificed uh, not only them, live, human beings, his sons, but he burned incense as well, just like the people on the high places. And understandably, the people just followed their king as well. As judgment during the, the reign of Ahaz, God would give Judah into the hands of Syria as well as the northern kingdom. They would actually control and have power over the, uh, the, king, the southern kingdom. But inst- and instead of repenting and trusting the Lord to deliver them, Ahaz turned not to God, but turned to one of the mightier nations around them, the nation and empire of Assyria. Assyria at that point then be- had risen to become the mightiest empire in that day. And Ahaz took silver and gold from the temple, God's temple. He took God's money, God's riches, and he gave it to the Assyrians. And so the Assyrians would then come, and, and they came, and they delivered the southern kingdom from uh, Syria and Israel. It was during Ahaz's reign in 722 B.C. that the northern kingdom was taken into captivity into, into Assyria. And that's the king Ahaz. Fourthly, there's a fourth king, the son of Ahaz, named Hezekiah, who, whom, whose reign Isaiah ministered in. And he reigned from 715 to 686 B.C. His reign is recorded for us in 2 Kings 16, 1 through 20, and 2 Chronicles 28, excuse me, 2 Chronicles 29, chapter, verse 1 through 32, 33. All right, just look up there, 2 Kings 18 through 20 to 20. Despite having an evil father, and Hezekiah is a great example, you know, that you can have a, like a pretty bad father, you can have terrible parents, but that's not an excuse to live a terrible life. He is classified as a good king. He didn't say, well, my dad was evil, that's why I'm evil. No, he said, I'm going to be a good king. He sought to do what was right before God. He did, and he of all these four kings did what the other kings couldn't, did not do. He actually removed all the high places. He removed the places and the objects of idol worship throughout the land of Judah. He trusted in the Lord and kept and obeyed God's commands. The Lord was with him and he prospered and the nation prospered. He even rebelled against the king of Assyria, although it was by turning to another nation, the nation of Egypt, to protect him. Eventually, because of his rebellion, the king of Assyria came, uh, coming down to actually to conquer Egypt. He came by to also take back 
Judah under his reign. He sought to bring it under its rule, and, and he actually threatened uh, to take to destroy Jerusalem. But Hezekiah, being a good king and worshiper of God, responded by praying to the Lord. And we prayed to God for deliverance, and God answered and delivered him uh, from the hands of the Syrians. And though Hezekiah ruled well for most of his reign, his reign did not end well. Hezekiah just um, uh, <clears throat> Hezekiah too had a prideful heart. He was full of pride. And in boastfulness, he when the Babylonians, that was the next up-and-coming empire, when they sent a delegation to, to visit him in the temple, he foolishly and pridefully, kind of arrogantly, showed the Babylonians all the treasures of, of the kingdom in the temple. And uh, that would, we'll find would lead to, it would be a, an instance where God would bring judgment upon, the, upon him and upon the nation of Judah. So these are the historical circumstances that Isaiah ministered in. To a people who practiced idol worship, Isaiah wrote to reprove them. To a nation under the threat of destruction, Isaiah wrote to comfort them. To kings who were tempted to trust in the nations, of the, the powerful nations of the earth, Isaiah wrote to, tr- to turn their trust to the Lord, the Almighty. And in some ways, these situations that are in Isaiah's days are not much different from our present day, are they? The people today continue to worship other gods and other idols, especially the idol of self. Our nation even, though not Israel, and we're not, we're also faces threats from radical groups that seek to destroy our, this nation as well as her people. Our kings, our rulers of our day, continue to trust in their own strength and their military might and then the alliances that we make with fellow nations. But God would have us, especially as the people of God, to put our trust in him and him alone. He writes in Isaiah, in whatever circumstances we face, in all these various circumstances, God would have his people trust in the Lord for salvation. Because the Lord is ultimately our source of salvation. The Lord is salvation for the people of God. He's the salvation when we are caught up in idol worship. He's our salvation when we face threat of destruction from the nations around us. He's the threat, he's the, he's the source of salvation when we are tempted to turn our, our, our trust into power and strength from other peoples, other nations. But our trust in all circumstances always ought to be in the Lord. And I trust that as we study Isaiah, we as a people, as the people of God, will see that the Lord is going to be our salvation in every circumstance. Not only physical deliverance, but even spiritual as well. So let's look that to a third and final setting. And that's the message of Isaiah. The message of Isaiah. Verse 1 talks about the message of Isaiah, the prophecy of Isaiah being a vision. It's the vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, concerning Judah and Jerusalem, which he saw. Now, in the Old Testament, God speaks to his people in different ways. And through the spoken word, that's how he spoke to Moses. He directly spoke to Moses. He spoke to people through the written word. He gave Israel the, the Ten Commandments written on tablets. He spoke to some of his people through dreams. And then, while they were sleeping, and then he spoke to some through visions, 
That is when people were basically awake and they would see a vision from God and they would be kind of brought before God and he would speak to them through a vision. Now, the prophecies of God are identified as a vision. They are a vision that God gives Isaiah a vision. Now, now remember, his ministry is 60 years long. So it's not that he was having a a 60-year-long vision, but very likely he had visions throughout his his life. And then he would write them during the write them down, uh, record them down, or actually he would speak them first to the people, but then he would write them down as well. But you notice here in the beginning of verse 1 that it's the vision of Isaiah. It's a singular vision. And he knows that based, Isaiah knows that his prophecies are related to one another in this singular vision of God's revealed plan. That all that God reveals them in different times are, yes, we could say they're visions, but he understands it's, it's a single vision. Isaiah's particular vision is a look, a revelation from the point of view of the nation Judah, as well as his capital Jerusalem, during the specific period of these four kings of Judah. However, from this viewpoint, God's plan would extend to all nations. And to the end of time, as we'll see in Isaiah, it, it's, it will bring us all the way to the, the very, the, the very final state, eternal state of God at the very end of Isaiah. So in a book of this length, then, that, so that's kind of the, the general big picture of what we're looking at here. A vision of God, a revelation of God's plan, not only for Judah and Jerusalem in this period of time, but it also kind of launches off to show us the vision of the plan of God for future for the coming of Christ in his first kingdom, in his first coming, but also the coming of Christ in his second coming. And so it kind of looks forward to that as we study Isaiah. But if we look at Isaiah and we kind of summarize it all, all that it speaks to in with one word, we could summarize it with the word salvation. In fact, that's what Isaiah's name means. The Lord is salvation or the salvation of the Lord. Uh, sometimes we say the word salvation appears in Isaiah 26 times, 26 times in this book, it appears only seven times in all the other prophets, all the 16 other prophets combined, seven times. So this book clearly is about salvation. It's about deliverance. Uh, yes, it speaks of deliverance of the Judah and Jerusalem from their, their, uh, in the context of the history, but it also speaks, it will speak of our salvation, their salvation and our salvation, eternal salvation from his, for eternity from sin. It is often said that the book of Isaiah is a mini Bible. You guys have probably heard that. Because if you didn't notice, Isaiah actually has 66 chapters. And our Bible has 66 books. Now don't, you know, don't get too excited about this and start preaching this. And say, oh, this is, you know, ordained by God to be this. You know, because the, 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 the chapter breaks of the Bible are not uh, inspired. Okay, they they're much came much later in life. But it's just kind of neat. It just kind of helps us to remember there's 66 chapters and there's 66 books of, uh, of the Bible. And it's kind of neat because the first 39 chapters of Isaiah coincide with the 39, chap- 39 books of the Old Testament. And they coincide and that's a, that, that these first chap- 39 chapters tell of, tell of our need for salvation. Just like the Old Testament shows us our sin, how we fall short of the law. Or at least how Israel fell, fell short of the law and how they needed the Messiah. And then, but the 27 chapters of Isaiah, just like the 27 books of the New Testament, show us then God's provision for salvation. 
through the Messiah. And uh, the latter half, those 27 books, really point to the, the comfort that God brings the, the, uh, in, through the Messiah, but as well as through the deliverance that he was going the, re- the restoration of Israel back to the land from their exile. We could even say, you could summarize chapters 1 through 39 by the word condemnation. And chapters 40 through 66 with the word comfort. God is bringing condemnation, but he's also bringing comfort. Comfort through the Messiah, the coming Messiah. So in the historical context of the kings of Judah, Isaiah writes of God's judgment of the nation's sins. It's too late for Judah. Their sin has been going on for too long. They, they have disobeyed the Lord. They've been worshiping idols. They have, uh, not, they have failed to obey his law. They've uh, abused those who are helpless. They, they offered, they, they worship God in, in name only, in, in outward, in outward observance, but really far, their hearts were far away from God. And so their lack of faith and trust in God led to God's determination to send them into captivity, into the hands of Babylon. That's what we'll find in, in Isaiah. In fact, Isaiah writes or prophesies in chapter 39, verse 6, that behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and all that your fathers have laid up in store to this day will be carried to Babylon. Nothing will be left. That's the predicts the Babylonian captivity that would take place in 586 BC. But Isaiah also writes to give hope to Judah. And though they would face God's judgment, he would not, God would not forget them. He would always remember his covenant promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He would preserve for them a godly remnant throughout their, their exile. And he promises to bring them back from exile back to the land. And God would one day deliver them, not only physically to the land, but he would bring them to salvation when the Messiah comes to know eternal deliverance. You see, God's promises to Judah and God's, and it's, it's its prophecies go beyond Judah to the nations, is that his promises go beyond earthly salvation. They look forward to the ultimate fulfillment of his promises, that is the eternal salvation from sin through his through his servant. And I think uh, around Christmas time, I preached Isaiah 53, and it was the, we talked about that in Isaiah, there are these servant passages these that speak of... Jesus as the suffering servant, the predicting, foreseeing, or foretelling of the Messiah. And we'll look at those passages that we study Isaiah as well. And it's this thought that Isaiah tells us of the coming Messiah, the suffering servant, makes for why Christians love this book. If you've ever read through Isaiah, you can't just help us, oh, that's neat. That's Jesus. You can't help but just every, almost, no, I'm not sure every chapter, but almost every two or three chapters, you're like, whoa, that's Jesus. I've I've read this somewhere. And you probably read in the New Testament first. You probably read in the Gospels. You read it in the Paul. You read it somewhere else. You say, oh, this is Jesus. And you go back and you say, oh, Isaiah said that first. And it dawns on us that Jesus fulfilled prophecy that was 700, 800 years old. That is so cool. That is, it, it strengthens our faith in the scriptures that what God foretells is what actually takes place, is fulfilled. All throughout this book, we find prophecies of the messianic servant. I'm going to just give, give us a few. Of, we learn of Jesus' birth. 
In Isaiah 7, 14, behold, a virgin will be, be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. We learn in Isaiah of his deity, Isaiah 9, 6, for a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. We learn on Isaiah of his ancestry in Isaiah 11.1. 1, then a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse, that's the father of David, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. We learn of his forerunner, John the Baptist, Isaiah 40, verse 3. A voice is calling, clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for God. And we learn of the Messiah's spirit-empowered ministry in Isaiah 42, verse 1. I put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. And then when we get to that beautiful place of all, we learn of his humility, his rejection, his death, his burial, and his substitutionary atonement for sins in Isaiah 52 and 53. I want to read from verse 5 and 6 of 53. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging, we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. All of us, has, each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Isaiah is full of prophecies of Christ. And they're just gems waiting for us to mine and to come and discover and to be excited about and, and to dig deeper into the glories of Calvary. That's what we're going to be doing in these next six months to a year, uh, Lord willing, unless he comes back sooner. And I pray that as we study these books that we will come to grow and love Christ more. If we want to see Christ, sometimes we sing songs. I was thinking if we're going to, have to make a theme song for our say through Isaiah, we should be show us Christ. Because Isaiah is going to show us Christ. It's going to show us Christ. Well, as we conclude then, just uh, we think back to Jesus' day. In Luke chapter 4, verse 16 through 21, early in Jesus' ministry, Jesus went about the synagogues teaching uh, throughout Galilee. And he would go and teach uh, to those who would hear in the synagogues. When Jesus arrived at the synagogue of his hometown, Nazareth. So this is his hometown. This is like San Francisco, you know, for many of you. Luke records for us what Jesus said. What would Jesus say to his family, his friends, his neighbors, at the very first opportunity he gets to tell them to proclaim and announce the beginning of his ministry on earth. In the province of God, he was handed the scroll of Isaiah. And in Isaiah, you wonder, what, what will he turn to? What will he read? And he turns to Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 to 2. And he reads this passage in Luke four eighteen and 19 recorded. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. To set free those who are oppressed. To proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And then he sat down and explained to them. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Wow. It's probably like, it was probably super silent. Well, people start talking about it. Eh? But in our culture, it would be silence. Oh, Jesus, the son of Joseph and Mary, is the Messiah? Jesus declared himself, yes, to be the Messiah. 
to the poor in spirit, the captives in sin, the spiritually blind, and the ones oppressed by sin. Jesus came to bring salvation. Jesus came to bring salvation to those who are caught up in sin. To the, uh, just as Isaiah prophesied, and he came and he brought it in, the, and he start and he brought it in the days of when Jesus walked on earth, and he's brought salvation to all who hear his words, not only in the New Testament, but as we look to Isaiah as well. May each time we open the book of Isaiah, may it launch us to know Christ better. May our view of Christ grow clearer. May our faith in Christ grow stronger. And may our proclamation of Christ grow bolder. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for these truths and these just introductory matters. And we pray that as we grasp the history, uh, the, uh, who Isaiah is, as well as the big picture of, your, of this book, Father, cause us to, to hunger and thirst for the word. May you give us the opportunity to, to read this book through in the weeks and months to come, maybe several times even. And as we mine it, may you show us the glories of Christ. As we dig deeper, may we be more and more awed by the brilliance and the majesty of Christ. Show us, Father, not only Christ, but show us yourself as well. May we see who you are in your holiness. And may we remember who we are, sinners saved by grace. Through the faith in Jesus Christ, the one whom you sent, the one whom the scriptures all point to. May we worship you as we study Isaiah in the next year ahead. This we pray, Father, in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right. God bless you. Please exit out to my left, your right. And on the Sunday school starts in uh, 10 minutes or so. God bless you.